You are listening to Cambridge Stronger, where culture counts and values matter most. Integrity, commitment, kindness, and flexibility are at the core of Cambridge's values and drive the spirit of Cambridge. Join our host, Cambridge CEO Amy Weber, for each Cambridge Stronger episode as she invites financial professionals to offer insight on how they integrate values and purpose in their care for their investing clients. You'll hear stories on how they got their start, as well as why they are in the advice profession. Now here's Amy. Welcome to Cambridge Stronger. I'm your host, Amy Weber, and today I'm joined by the founder of Pivotal Financial Advisors, Monty Ferguson. Thank you for coming on the show, Monty. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here. Great. Well, let's jump in and have a conversation here about the financial services industry, your life, your career, your story, your journey. So let's start there. Tell me your story. How did you get started in this profession and how did you get where you are today? So humble beginnings in the mountains in Virginia, farming, that type of thing, which I think added to a work ethic very early on, not unlike many other folks around the country for their reasons, but uh, it was a military college by choice, not required. So after that, active duty, U.S. Army aviation for about eight years. Very exciting for a 22 to 30-year-old, obviously, interrupted by the first Gulf War in 90. But great experience. And along the way, early on, I had some great mentors that said, you should really pay yourself first. So when I had steady income outside of college, I just started with a small investment of, I think, $50 initially and uh, added to it with pay raises and promotions along the way and kept that going, had a great ethic for continuing to invest. So there was a plan very early on. And like I said, I had some great friends and financial advisors along the way to help out. So we talked about it and came across a point with the military that did not want to continue the active duty pursuit, which I, I really felt that I would be a lifetime military person in my 20s. But that changed with family and the arrival of our, our daughter in 1993. So I got out and started in the industry at the recommendation of those same folks who had helped me get started with the plan. And 13 years later with that firm, had climbed a corporate ladder a little bit just to get started, had a nice position there and it got us to Fort Worth, Texas and decided it was time for me to branch out on my own and Pivotal was founded in 2008. Thankfully I met Jim Guy and he was wonderful. We miss him. I know you do too, frequently. He said, come join us. And all those concerns that I had from the past and concerns about risk going forward, he helped me to overcome. And within no time at all, I had Parker, Consol, and Fred Orr join me and we've grown from there. So it's been a very exciting trip and we look forward to, to many years to come. Right. I do channel Jim almost on a daily basis. So I'm glad that you referenced him. And I'm also glad that you made it clear that you went into the military as a calling and not a requirement. That's important from an integrity standpoint with our core values here. I know you served as a helicopter pilot, which I find fascinating. Thank you for your service. Can you give us some examples of maybe how the military background influences how you do business today and how you operate your business? 
Yes. So I think I'd like to break this into a couple of things operationally and, and then for personnel. And so starting with the first one, I think that the military certainly helps out with discipline, a work ethic, again, continued as I referenced before, strategic thinking, kind of looking at a larger picture as, as often as possible, either either in reflection or really planned events, but eventually, you know, getting down to the immediate tasks at hand so that you can accomplish something. And it's very similar to our military training to where you had to prepare and prepare and think on a grander scale, think in contingencies, multiple ones rather than just a single path, recognizing that there's risk involved and, and that you're going to have to change things as you go along because you just can't predict every outcome of every situation. So you think in a kind of a strategic fashion. Also, it's, 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 a, it's a mission-oriented thought process too that I think I've benefited in private life from the military time that we spent. It works very well and I joke frequently with people that, you know, you waste a lot of time sleeping between midnight and 6 a.m. So you know, <laughs> being self-employed, as you know, we're 24-7, but we do have to find a balance, and I think we'll talk about that a little bit later, but the military helps folks, and for me especially, to be a good follower so that you can be a good leader. Hopefully, you can become organized, and you can treat everyone with respect, take their input, of course, evaluate that input, and as a leader of an organization, as you know so well, you've got to take that input and, and then decide what to do with it and move forward. So once a decision's made on the personnel side, communication becomes very key and, and delegating. And then of course, evaluating the outcome of wherever we've gone and then make adjustments and then rinse and repeat, if you will, keep moving forward because looking back can be helpful, but I'm, been one who is always looking forward. And I think the military background has helped me tremendously in, in that fashion through the years. I recently read a book, one of our speakers at one of our events, you may have, you may remember him, Jason Redman. I did. Thank you for inviting him. I enjoyed that time spent with he and his wife, who he affectionately calls the Admiral. And the book was very good. Fantastic. And uh, inspired me to go out and read a couple of his books. I don't know if you've read it or not, but Trident is the name of one of the leadership books. And it talks about a lot of the things you were just describing. You literally could have written the book perhaps about the benefits of the leadership that you learn inside of a military career and how that can translate into life. So that's awesome. So Monty, we're going to kind of pivot here. Let's talk a little bit. It's similar to what we've been discussing in terms of some military, but like us, often some of your clients outside of the retail side of things are financial professionals, right? Many of them also have a background in the military. What's the most rewarding part about working with financial professionals on one hand, and then you can also pivot and, and share with us a little bit about what it's like to work with clients. I think we all find over time that most things that are the, the most rewarding take upfront work. And one could even call it front loaded, if you will, with little return of on investment initially. So I think the most rewarding part about working with financial professionals is the feedback from them on the value that you've attempted to deliver early on without requesting anything in return 
Yes, it's hope on opportunity to work together because that's what business is all about, but getting feedback on real value delivered, and it, and it comes in lots of different forms. Sometimes it's just as simple as answering the phone. I can tell you on Friday at about four o'clock, and I know it was already five o'clock where the call came from on the East Coast, you know, after we had had the conversation, I'd provided some input, listened, you know, to what the financial professional was engaging in. He was coming to a close and said, I just want to say thanks because, you know, I knew that when I called you to answer the phone and that's what I need, you know, from time to time, because we work with a lot of financial professionals, just as you do at Cambridge, of course, that are solo. They, they don't have that ensemble or people to bounce off of. So having someone that they can trust and, and know that they can hopefully get value with each call, I, I won't be so brave to say that it's every time, but I think the most rewarding piece is when you get solid feedback that, you know, you're providing good information and, and doing the right thing for them, even when it's not convenient. I have a little strategy where I make sure to save the positive comments because I think in our business, sometimes we have a lot of outside influences going on that can be challenging at times, right? The markets and economy and all of the things that we have to deal with. It's really important for us to focus on the positive comments and the differences that we make in their lives. Sure. We have a lot in common. How about a succession plan for taking care of those financial professionals, your business? Probably the priority, because I know you so well, is actually the loved ones in your own life, because you mentioned family earlier. What does your succession plan look like? So, as I mentioned earlier, business partners along the way and a, and a great team with us at Pivotal that, that we're so thankful for and appreciative of their time and energy. But it's really internal for the moment. And like a couple of the other responses, Amy, and I know you know this too, because you've got the plan with, with Eric and it's published. And I think it was done in the journals back in 2013, because I still use that obviously in recruiting, because just like you, the questions are asked all the time. What about Cambridge? Where's it going? What's it doing? Similar to Pivotal, but specifically internal at the moment, but attention can always be paid to this area because it is very dynamic and new opportunities are coming along all the time. So the main thing is, as we promote with the financial professionals that we support and work for out here, we tell them to have something in place so that they know that those non-registered people around them that benefit from your hard work every day should not have to be concerned if something significant like a disability or worse yet death would occur. So I think your plan with the Transition Express is fantastic. It's a good stopgap as published and it's short term. So it gives the financial professionals the chance to get their own plan and get it together eventually because they certainly need to, which is the point with the question. Our pivotal is really internal at the moment and continuing to, to look for others to work with us on that going forward. So very dynamic. Monty, what's the ideal financial professional look like as they fit into the pivotal organization? You're out in the, in the universe looking for those new financial professionals to add that diversity to your practice. Well, we are certainly looking for experienced ones, not opposed to new people coming to the industry. You know, you and I've had lots of conversations through the years of how we are very passionately interested in trying to help people come into our industry, but it is difficult. 
And in the independent space, as much as we love it, it does require some willingness to take risk. So we're looking for someone who's a, a bit of a risk taker to come into that self-employment world and run a business, be able to adapt along the way. The licenses, yes, matter to some degree. Their track record in the industry of certainly matters. But mostly we know that you can have all of those things and not have the desire to go out and meet people and ask other people after delivering value. Again, that front load thought, if you can deliver value, people are willing to share their friends, contact information. They're willing to do introductions for you virtually as the environment we find ourselves in or certainly face-to-face because we all like that. I mean, we're, we're a social type of world and that's what everybody's missing right now, of course, and that interaction. And I hope we can get back to that very soon. We're looking for people that are excited about the industry and, and want to move forward with our organization in Cambridge in the fashion in which we operate ourselves daily as professional as we can be and, and with total integrity, as you mentioned. Do you see any significant changes over the next few years that we as a profession need to continue to focus on? Of course, and I might have alluded to it already, but the main thing I believe is helping the folks that are a little later in their careers to find a way without having to put a for sale sign on the lawn in an analogy, because most of them have made a lot of promises to their retail clients and they're not just going to one day say, okay, it's all for sale. So we have to help the sellers get comfortable with talking with potential buyers. And I know that you've done a lot of work. Eric's done a lot of work in the financing department and I would encourage advisors and certainly new recruits to find out more about the succession and acquisition solutions group and the folks you've got there working that are very professional and they know the business very well. So I think the answer is working with SAS, working with the potential sellers, if we can identify them as that, that's our biggest challenge is for them to admit. And, and then maybe have something that's a little more of a buy sell agreement that's a bit more open-ended than just a six month to two years. So it could be a, a three to five year type of arrangement. So I'd, I'd like to explore that. And, and I'm thinking a lot about that with some of the more senior advisors or ones that just have reached that point in their career that they're ready to make a decision. They just don't have yet the, the reason to do it. And I'd like to help them with that. Your point earlier about a significant number of financial professionals in our segment anyway, still practicing as solos, there is some true value to partnering up with an organization like yours or um, potentially starting to build somewhat more of an ensemble or a partnership. I do see many financial professionals who cannot envision themselves until they're forced to not being a part of what they've spent their lives building, right? Right. I do think that you've got some interesting ideas there around building a different roadway for those advisors to stay in longer, but not have the buck stop with them and give them time to explore other things in their life. I was just going to say, I know we have a lot of great folks on the team that can help us facilitate that. We just got to get together with them and put our minds together on how we might create that new roadway for people to 
not say, yes, I want to get out and I want to be out by X date, but rather a little more open-ended to partner up. Yeah, it's similar as you suggested with a senior junior or, you know, just two partners getting together with their practices. And you and I've seen that through the years, but there's not a formal pathway, if you will, to, to getting there. You know, maybe, maybe we, can, we can get together and have that conversation to help. Leveraging that core value of flexibility, absolutely. Yes. Speaking of, so you and I are of similar age, I think. So we've got a lot more years to work here. Um, but tell us a little bit about how you manage to balance your work life and your personal life. What, what are the important things that somebody needs to know about how to do that? I think the key is you've got to be active in both. <laughs> you can't allow one to overcome the other. But equally, I believe it's accepting that imbalance will occur. And that's okay for good reasons, right? Good reasons. Don't let the bad reasons, you know, enter into the situation. So that, as we've read and heard through our professional lives, is you do have to be willing to say no. And so accept some imbalance for real good reasons, but don't let the bad ones impede the, the things that you want to do and balance. So the other thing, and I, I, I do a lot of cycling, bicycling, something I took up late in life after running was not really a good option anymore. And remaining active from that college and military career, I like that. And I hang out with a guy who's been an Ironman for 40 years. He's done about 85 Ironman competitions in his life, and he's 73 years old. And when he's got on all of his garb, other than the gray mustache, you'd never know that he's 73 years old the way he maneuvers a bicycle still. So when we're chatting on these two, three hour rides, it's almost always about the discipline to keep doing it. So I'd apply that to both the, the hobbies and things that you like and the personal and the professional life. You've got to have that discipline to keep doing those things that, you know, may or may not that day feel good. It could be a call, you know, in the business to a concerned client. Let me, let me phrase it that way, or a, uh, a less than happy financial professional at the moment. But almost certainly we all know that once you've had that conversation, the majority of them with reasonable minds come away feeling much better having had that conversation. So the sooner you get active and stay busy at it, the better, even though it may or may not feel really good just prior. But afterwards, it always feels good, whether you're cycling or, or talking to financial professionals. I don't think biking is in my future, <laughs> but I agree. We have to have those things that balance, uh, balance it out and give us, we leverage maybe the same skills and, and desires and strengths and weaknesses potentially, but in a very different environment, which makes us better at what we do day to day. Right. Right. Absolutely. What's the most important thing in your life outside of your career? So it's certainly quality time. I'd like to add that emphasis to it. I mean, we all, spend time and we're distracted so much these days, whether it's all of our technology, you know, around us, being really with someone to have a real conversation, much like we're having right now. I think that folks genuinely and sincerely can tell when someone is in the moment with them. And, and that again, is part of being social, it's being professional. And so the most important thing I believe is having quality time with loved ones, with friends, 
and and quite frankly to yourself sometimes you know because you do need that that time to process and think through decisions be strategic and then and then get back into your life so I believe that those are all things certainly that that are very important to me outside of just coming to work every day is to have quality time with loved ones and friends. How did you find the discipline to be an active father at the same time as building such a successful business? My daughter and son-in-law are very good about staying plugged in with us. So uh, we make plans together and we spend time together. Daughter seems to be you know, very focused, career-minded also. I think, you know, somewhere along the line, she picked up a little bit of that, maybe from the, the, <laughs> the family and the lifestyle that we raised her in. So she hasn't made a rapid departure from that. That makes it a little easier to stay plugged in. But even if she had, I think that through the years, and I can't tell you that it was always that way because, you know, in that first uh, seven, eight years of both the military and self-employment life, was a bit challenging, as we said. I mean, it's a lot of sacrifice. It was a lot of Saturdays, a lot of Sundays, a lot of, a lot of time away at conventions to try to build something. But realizing that special times like holidays and, and Christmas and those types of things are very important for you to get back plugged in with the family. Eventually, they kind of accept the way that, that I have and my wife, Debbie, and I have, have, have built our lives. And and right now as a father with a new son-in-law as of three years, and they did just move to Texas. They came back. He's going to law school here, and they're very excited to be back here in Texas, and we are for them to be here. So we just find good quality time to be together, whatever it is. Thank you for sharing a little bit of the vulnerability about, you know, it's not always perfect, right? As we're building our careers, the same thing holds true, I think, for the, we talk about this a lot from a female advisor perspective, right? How do you have it all? How do you be a mom and run the business? But I think sometimes we forget that you have the same challenges as a, um, a father and a male, that you've got to balance and figure out how to be present in a lot of different aspects of your life. So I appreciate you sharing that. My pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity. We're going to wrap it up here, but any other last comments, remarks, why financial advice, your best advice that you could give to somebody who's thinking about getting into our business? I would like to tell them that it's a very noble profession. It's, it's all about helping others first, and you will receive rewards as a result of that effort over time, as long as you stay focused and continue to do that integrity in a word as as we have it as a part of our core principles is the process of what you're thinking about and what you're saying and your actions are all congruent and if they are that's true integrity so i would tell those people that if you come into this industry seeking only the financial rewards you'll probably be disappointed at somewhere along the way because you have to be willing to help others in order for you to be successful. And then of course, as you achieve that success, you have to remain grounded, very well grounded in that success because the new people that you meet, they, they will sense whether or not you're still as sincere as you might've been when you started your career or somewhere along those ebbs and flows throughout our careers on how we conduct ourselves. So I just would tell someone that's thinking about the industry, it's a great one. And you can enjoy it from many aspects, personally and professionally. And ultimately, it's something that you can pass along. I think a lot of parents, again, are looking for something. If, if children are interested or someone else 
you know, that you take on as a, a mentee that someone that you're helping with, you can help them get into the business and they'll enjoy it. Great point. I would suggest that one of our number one succession planning techniques that we see is absolutely to transfer the business um, and that that uh, success that a parent has built to one of their children or a relative, whatever it may be. So you're absolutely right. Great point. Thank you for joining us today. You just described what I call servant leadership, but you allow us to serve you. We really appreciate the relationship and your inspiring stories. So keep up the good work and the noble profession. And thank you so much for sharing. Thanks, Amy. See you soon, hopefully. Hopefully, absolutely, in person. Thanks to all the people in the back office there at Cambridge. It's been a pleasure for the 13 years coming up on, if you might imagine, it's 12 and a half now since we got together. And I appreciate all the hard work they're doing under difficult times, but we're doing it together and that's what matters. Cambridge Stronger, Cambridge Stronger, my friend. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Cambridge Stronger. Amy Weber and her guests enjoy sharing these insightful stories on why they became independent financial professionals, as well as client success stories. New episodes are available monthly in your favorite podcast venues. We are Cambridge Stronger.